you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The Around the NFL Podcast. Drops 40 on the reg. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and Chris Wessling. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Hey, buddy. Week 17 flagship show. Yes, we have reached the end of the yellow brick road. 256 games, and we've covered them all on the Around the NFL podcast, or I should say we will have by the end of today's show. And Mark, I know you're in a good mood today because for the first time in the history of this program, The Week 17 slate will not be the end of your favorite football team season, and we're going to get to that. But I just want to let you know that I like the smile on your face, and I could tell the joy rages within. I mean, it's mostly just relief um, compared to what the other narrative would be had they lost today. But I am happy in an... um, you know, we can get into it. It's um, you're beaming, you're beaming. It's coming out of your pores. I, I can see it. It's I a strange, this. it's a strange sensation. It's it's very surreal. Um, I, I know, know Mark very well, and I've gotten to know him as a sports fan very well. He externalizes anger about the Browns, but internalizes joy. And there's so much within him right now, Wes, that you could see it coming out of his pores and his skin. Look, he's flush. He's oh, flush. He he doesn't know what to do. It, it, he's got a, also a reputation to uphold. He can't just go gaga right now after all these after all these years. You know, he's got a. He, he, there's a certain brand that we have here to protect. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think we'll you get guys it. have figured it out. You figured we're, it out. We're going to get to it. The playoff uh, schedule and everything at the back end of the show. But I, I'm just going to say right now, I don't, I don't have a problem with the Browns' Week One or playoff matchup either. A lot to talk about this week, but first, let's go through all the games. We're going to go by conference here uh, this week, and first, we're going to get uh, to the AFC, go through everything there, how uh, 
that conference is set up for January football and then hit the NFC capped with the Sunday night game uh, between the Eagles and Washington football team. But yes, let's start in the AFC and yes, let's start in Cleveland. Mayfield takes the snap. He's going to run it to the right. Mayfield turns the corner and got, got the, the first, first down on the right side. He slides inside the 40-yard line. Minka Fitzpatrick tags him down. First down Browns at the 39-yard line of Pittsburgh. And the clock is running with 52 seconds left to go. Uh, it's Mike. a first down, and that bench area is starting to feel it right now. <laughs> Jim Donovan with the call. WKRK. The Cleveland Browns are back in the postseason, qualifying for the dance for the first time since 2002. They snuff out a late Pittsburgh rally to beat the Steelers 24 22. The Browns 11 5. They're going to the playoffs. <laughs> Mark Sessler, they're going to the playoffs, and you'll be watching them in your garage or your living room. I don't know. They're going, Mark. They're going. It's um, it's sinking in. It's still sinking in. I these Browns games. Um, I thought Nick Shook, who will be on later, put it well that they just they don't make it easy um on their fans or or themselves. And you know, this was another week where they went into a the biggest game they've had and you know since their return i'd say um with one practice and a lot of remaining corona issues but no excuses with the steelers sitting all their stars and um you know part of me thought the browns kind of no matter what they couldn't really come out of here winning the narrative because if you win you beat a sh- under underman steelers team if you lose well we know what the conversation piece would be there i thought they just did they did they did whatever it took um from their star players who were on the field, they got just enough. They got just enough from Nick Chubb. Um, they had 192 yards on the ground, but what was a little bit different about this game was that a bunch of it came from Baker Mayfield. He is not a scrambler, and that's not really a big part of their playbook. But um, I thought he took off and, and moved the chains on a couple key runs. That last one we heard the right there. Jarvis Landry made a couple key catches. Um, and in this defense, which at this point is built of um, you know, plasticine and small pieces of wood. Uh, you know, got got the interception from from. Uh, you know, they did just enough. I'm kind of at a loss for words because I I think that if you look at what the Steelers did, you could ask yourself. Um, you know, from a brass tacks angle, which team comes out of this more encouraged? Because Pittsburgh's B team nearly beat Cleveland, and I think Cleveland's defense has become, especially without Denzel Ward, um, a raging weakness, and they're going to mm. have to do a lot on offense and a lot more on offense next week to hang with a Steelers team that gets 60% of their roster back. But I give Cleveland credit for, um, you know, it's been a chaotic 14 days for them. And they're a reflection of Kevin Stefanski. Uh, they, they're not a panic team. Um, you know, I think good teams don't panic in general. And then Cleveland, unlike years past, um, have a bit of a different de- demeanor to them. Um, it's Olivier Vernon's hurt. You will see if they get... If they get Denzel Ward back, if they don't, um, I, I will see. I the the, the one other thing I'll say real quick is that this is this the Browns being here. Um, when I think of the Browns, I think of I think of you three and Erica first um, because of a really rough uh, eight year period to get here. I think of all the people that um, tweeted today, all the listeners from our show. It means a lot. 
Um, but I, but as to Wes's point, I'm not like you know one of these fans that just has a blind optimism. I'm very concerned about next week. The Steelers are a very good team. Well, I still think the Browns should uh, a be happy. You know that they got into the playoffs. B okay, yeah, it was the the Steelers B team. Everyone's got a B team right now, especially the Browns. I mean, they were missing six players. I know it wasn't like the star players, but they had six guys on the the COVID nineteen list. So I I hate when teams play in back to back weeks. It doesn't happen too often. These teams will be playing uh, again next week, but it's really not the same game. Not only do you have you know the Steelers stars back, but but Cleveland is hopefully getting some reserves. And I, compared to the other potential matchups that they could be going on the road to to be doing in the AFC, like Buffalo, like I'll take it if I'm a Browns fan. The way the way that this uh, thing uh, ended up for Pittsburgh, and and you got to feel like okay, at least like let's not talk about bad luck and like everything is just luck, luck. Like they had some nice luck today. They kind of missed the call on a Mason Rudolph interception. You know, the two point play at the end, it comes down to a two point play that could have maybe even called the, a penalty there on the Browns. Y- you got to play mason rudolph so it's like they've earned 11 wins 11 wins got to get you into the playoffs i don't need to hear anything about backing in like that's that's a playoff team um but just the way today unfolded you got a bit of luck and i think it's a team that they can certainly compete and maybe beat next week in pittsburgh yeah they you know the the steelers looked like they were dead in this game after rudolph threw an interception uh the browns score shortly thereafter uh pittsburgh 13 straight points after that and then go for the two-point conversion uh, in between, there was the the play call on third and three uh, for Cleveland uh, where they drop back to pass uh, when they're in field goal range or very close to it. Uh, Baker takes a sack and then an incompletion that then set up uh, the second touchdown of the quarter for Pittsburgh. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the most impre- impressive performance by the Browns, but ultimately it doesn't matter because they got the win and they're going to the playoffs. And, and like you said, and we'll be talking about this, uh, all week. Uh, Pittsburgh, you know, they didn't have T.J. Watt in addition to Ben Roethlisberger. They're missing uh, their two best players or two most important players right there. It's going to be a very different uh, matchup. But also, I don't think Cleveland's going to be intimidated uh, by going into uh, Heinz Field for that game. I, I get the feeling that this is this is going to be a very close game and what's going to be a great weekend of football in the AFC. Yeah, I mean, this, this nearly caused um, something of a breakup on our private text thread because and I know you know I know you guys were um rooting for good fortunes for for me personally but uh you know we were calling the game in the third quarter and stuff and everyone's saying everything's gonna be fine and I well I just know the way that was Dan I know I know enough not to do stuff like that well I don't know what Dan's was was attempting for their uh no I just told you it was over in the third quarter after the Rudolph pick and uh I was right because it was over because you were right Pittsburgh Steelers uh, lost I didn't I didn't totally enjoy it at the time, and I said unsubscribe from this thread after being on it for you know six plus years. But um, yes, you were right in the end, and I'm glad that you that you were. All right, so Cleveland playing January football for the first time since 2002. How about that? The Buffalo Bills, a team that has had very little luck in the last 20 years, they closed out their schedule with not a lot of movement to be made. In the uh, playoff picture, uh, but they did have the chance to break some hearts and break some hearts. They did. Hawk takes a snap, boots it high into the air. Pretty good looking punt. McKenzie backpedaling, fields it at the 16 yard line. 
Dodges two men. Starts up the middle. Now to the right side at the 30. At the 40. Isaiah McKenzie on the run at midfield in Miami territory. Got to beat the punter. He gets around him. He's at the 20. He's at the 15, 10, 5. Touchdown! Touchdown! Touchdown, Buffalo! Isaiah McKenzie goes 84 yards for the touchdown. He's got three touchdowns today. Good night, Miami! (laughs) Everybody having fun. Connected to the Buffalo Bills, including John Murphy of WGR with the call. Josh Allen threw three touchdown passes. And yes, Isaiah McKenzie scored three times in the first half, including that 84-yard punt return. It was over at that point. Uh, the Bills poured it on against the Dolphins, 56-26 to at Orchard Park. With the win, the Bills clinched that number two seed, uh, completing an incredible year where they matched a single-season record for wins and won their first division title in 25 years. Josh Allen plays a half, throws three touchdowns, goes 18-25. Matt Barkley comes in. He even does some things in the second half, and uh, that is the second most points scored in team history by the Bills. And, Greg, on the Dolphins' side of things, just a complete collapse. Obviously, they had... Listen, a lot of these teams are facing COVID-19 challenges. Ryan Fitzpatrick... Uh, in another heartbreaking setback to his career, uh, comes down with COVID. He is sitting at home watching this game. And uh, Tua and the offense, very conservative again early on. Everything short of the sticks. But it wasn't just Tua. This was a total meltdown in all three phases by the Dolphins. A team that you didn't expect that from, given what we had seen the first 16 weeks. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You know, I give the Bills so much credit. I guess they still only played Josh Allen for a half. And, and they, they could win by this much. I'm just so used to teams resting when they really don't need to win. And they had a feeling that the Steelers, um, you know, they knew the Steelers were resting and, and they w- said they were going all out for the two seed. They didn't really. I mean, they sat Tredavious White and Jerry Hughes, but they just put it on them because they're, they're a football team playing good football. That's like, you know, they're, they're not going to stop. And Miami, as, as frustrating as it is to end this way and feel like you got left out in the cold in a stacked, uh, AFC, they were a defensive team. And if your defense is getting lit up by like this, it's not like they can feel like they got shorted, that it was the Fitzpatrick injury or it was, you know, playing the Bills this week or, you know, they're getting unlucky not to make it at 10 and 6. If you're giving up this many points to the best of the best and that's the Bills, I mean, they weren't going anywhere uh, fast. That they, they had a great season, uh, but this is kind of a brutal way to end it. Uh, although, and, and it raises questions because they have the number three overall draft pick. Uh, courtesy of Billy O'Brien, Laramie Tunsil, and the Houston Texans. We sat there in September. This offense comes out like a house of fire, the Bills' offense. And we say, yeah, but, you know, it's what a team's doing in December that matters. This team gets better every week. You take Cole Beasley away, everybody's disappointed. And then Smoke Brown comes back. Gabriel Davis goes over 100. They find some guy named Antonio Williams stashed on their practice squad. <laughs> I had to look. I had to dig deeper to find info on this guy than anybody ever in the history of this podcast. Who is Antonio Williams? This Bills offense just seems yeah, to get better every back. week. The defense is getting better every week. Mm. Wasn't Spice Rack guy Jonathan Williams on the Bills? I mean, yeah, uh, sometime back. Spice Rack, Spice Rack can't catch a break. I mean, it turns out Antonio is the best random Williams running back ever to show up. But come on, Spice Rack. You'd have to think that had Fitzpatrick been available, we would have maybe seen a repeat 
of the you know lineup switch. I mean, this it, I, I get that it's not all on Tua, but um, kind of tracking this first half for Miami, they the offense seems to just sputter and sort of fall apart when he's in there, and like he had like twenty eight yards or something on their first four drives, and they were averaging about two yards per play. Yeah. Um, uh, that was where they are at when the game was spinning out of control, and absolutely, this would have been uh, a relief performance. However, you want to put this floor strategy for Fitzpatrick, but again, I, it wouldn't have mattered because um, what Miami did well all season uh, was, you know, play uh, making the most of their players, getting contributions from all phases of the team, defense, which led the way, special teams doing special things. And you had a special teams breakdown on a punt return when they when they could least survive it. And you had the defense could not get a stop. I believe Buffalo scored four straight touchdowns in the second quarter. Um, and the offense, which it all, was always the liability with this team, uh, was certainly didn't have it in them to get into a shootout with Buffalo. So um, while you could look at it as like, oh, man, it's a bummer. Fitz didn't get to end his playoff drought and didn't get in this game. The way it played out and the level the Bills are at, even when they're only playing their stars or half the game, I don't think it matters. And the Dolphins, of course, didn't get the luck they needed uh, from the other game, so they go home. Uh, just a tough, a tough way to end what was still a successful season for Miami, but a tough way to close it. All right, let's move on now. The Baltimore Ravens also had put themselves in position to clinch a playoff spot with a four-game winning streak. They would lock themselves in with a W on Sunday. They got the Bengals, and I think you know how this is going to turn out. Dobbins will carry across the 30. Stiff arms, man, 35-40. Leg race, midfield. Bengal 40, 30, Dobbins to the 20, he might, 10, 5, he will. Touchdown, J.K. Dobbins. Jerry Sandusky, WBAL. Yes, the Ravens finish up a dominant close to their season with a 38-3 beating of the Bengals. That's five straight wins for Baltimore. And it clinches their third playoff berth in as many seasons with Lamar Jackson behind center. Uh, Mark, the Ravens capped their ferocious close with a historic rushing performance. I mean, this is... uh, When I watch this team, we just talked about the Bills... But I look at the Ravens and say, and I get that their schedule's been light down the stretch. Um, who can handle what they're doing right now during this five-game win streak, which um, this podcast predicted, uh, Dan Hans, is some almost okay. over a month ago. Uh, they are averaging 267.4 rushing yards per game. Woo! And, and it's, it's, I love how they're doing it. Because and what did they have today, Mark? Today they rumble. 404, the fourth team since 1950 to have more than 400 yards in a game. It's Whoa. incredible, and it's and you know and you can look at Tennessee and, and what what someone like Derrick Henry did. Um, they've shifted who gets carries in this backfield, but the way they have it right now, it's J.K. Dobbins, thirteen carries, one hundred and sixty yards. Gus Edwards, twelve carries, sixty yards. Lamar Jackson, eleven for ninety-seven. They are perfectly happy to be a three-headed beast. Uh, Mark Ingram, not a big role, but he had nine rushes today. But in general, they're sort of a a. a Pick your poison backfield, and it's going to be someone different that blows up next week. And you're getting Lamar Jackson now um, rushing for yardage per game that is higher than his MVP level a year ago. Um, He threw a couple beautiful darts as well. Uh, Someone like Mark Andrews is back involved in these games. And and they look to me completely unstoppable. I mean, they really do. Hmm. How many weeks in a row have we told a story where at halftime they had 258 yards 
The Bengals had 62, and that's a Bengals issue to some degree, but the Bengals offense had looked pretty good the last couple of weeks, certainly a little bit different than in, in weeks past, and the Ravens just, they take the life out of you. And I get that um, time of possession is not like a total hallmark stat, but when the Ravens have the ball for 22 minutes in the first half, it is with them because it's the way they do it. Even on their first drive, which was a field goal drive, they took seven minutes off the clock, so someone's going to have to find a way to slow this running game. Um, and when they were a bit milquetoast in the middle of the year, they didn't have this power. They seem agitated mm. to me. Um, they are going to get Tennessee in the playoffs. I cannot wait to see that game. I think they are fueled off of a sense of revenge right now. I just see it in them in a way that I don't in some other teams. And they are total power. And, you know, this is something that I think a lot of people um, would look at and say sports teams have a bunch of cliches. We don't buy into it. And that's fine. But athletes a lot of times do. And, John Harbaugh has told this team to roll off of faith and guts, two things that you can't see. Um, yes, that sounds cliche, but they are operating like a team that has seen something no one else can, and I, mm. I would be very scared to deal with them a week Come from Come on, now. Greggy. It's time to buy in on your, the Ravens, a team you fell in love with. You jumped off the bandwagon at the wrong time. I, I mean, you're, jump, you're telling me they got off. the Titans next weekend. I just, you're telling me this you Ravens put the offense question, is going to get rolled over. And I've gotten it. I got it from you, and I got it from <laughs> some um, – Sports talk guy, too, is like, is this Ravens team more dangerous and better than last year's? It's like, well, no, because they're missing those players. They haven't beaten the great teams, you know, yet. And uh, that team, like, we know now that they blew it in the playoffs, but they were one of the greatest regular season teams in the history of the NFL. So it's like, no, they're not more dangerous than that. But you're right. It's crazy. They're a five seed. They led the NFL in point differential entering this game. Before going up 38-3 to on the Bengals. And I do love the way it sets up in the AFC. Because the Titans are not only the team that broke them and broke their hearts last year. They're the ones that did it this year. That game that the Ravens gave away was their low point. And they had no business losing that game to the Titans. Who just sort of took it from them at the end and started their downfall. And now they get to go and make up for it. Like the two tough, like biggest teams uh, out there on offense, you should expect a lot of points. I mean, it's beautiful. And oh, by the way, if the seeds hold, then they get to go potentially, or the winner of that game potentially goes to Kansas City the next week. And that's delicious too. Sign me up. Let's do it. What do you I'm think, back Wes? on. What do you think about the Ravens right now compared to where they were entering the playoffs a year ago? I think of how wrong I was that that I thought this team I, I thought they were broken, like Greg said. I thought the Titans broke them. That you the way you deal with a bully is to punch him in the face. And the Titans are the only team willing to punch them in the face. They do it. They come away with it twice. They come away with it well done twice. And I thought this offensive line Losing Ronnie Stanley, who was a Pro Bowl left tackle. And then now you got Zeus Brown kicking out to to left tackle. That guy should be an all-pro. Mm-hmm. To keep the offensive line together and to keep the running game, the number one running game in the league, after switching positions, supposed to be the slowest lineman in the NFL. Now he's playing left tackle, and they're killing it. Zeus. I was so wrong about this team. The, you know, though, one thing, though, Wes, like it was Lamar Jackson who even said 
teams have figured us out. Teams looked at the Tennessee game and they've they've we're not we're like six or seven weeks removed from a lot of chaos happening with that team. Marquise Hollywood Brown saying, "What's going on here? Why can't anyone find me?" COVID. And I think they, they were just, racked they by just, COVID too. Sure, they were. I mean, it's just like they've been through a lot. They've reshaped themselves. And the one thing that I do think is different from last year's playoff team. Remember, it was Mark Andrews and back then Mark Ingram, the centerpiece of the ground game, who both were hurt going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They played, but they were not themselves. And that was that was part of the issue with Baltimore. They were not at high power. And right now, they are. And they have, you know, J.K. Dobbins there this year, and he's really uh, turned into a player here. He broke the Ravens' rookie touchdown record, Patrick Queen, on the defense. It's a different team. Uh, they want to have a better result than they've had in recent playoff games. Uh, I... I, I just I, I like a lot what I'm seeing from him, and I think a lot of people um, agree. All right, so the Ravens keep rolling. They are the number five seed. Uh, they will play the Titans. The Titans had a chance to win the division, the AFC South, on Sunday. Let's see if they could do it. Right hash, 37 yards to win it. Snap, set, Sloman's kick is up. His kick hits the upright. It goes through! Yes! It yes! Good! Yes! 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 <laughs> Great job, Sloman! Bank shot for Sloman! And the 2020 AFC South champions reside in the 6 1 5. <laughs> hey, Mike Keith with another great call. That, I think that was like a uh, West, like Bob Euchre in Major League when the announcer is so excited that he runs away from the microphone to celebrate. And it's like, Mike, come back. Dave McGinnis, come back. You got to call the game. Yes, always trust Sam Sloman. I was a a caller, a robocaller, or a cold caller for Sloman Shield for uh, two weeks in the late 1990s. I just want to get that out there. No matter what, trust Sam Sloman. The fill-in kicker's 38-yard attempt clanged off the right upright, sputtered over the crossbar as time expired. The deciding points in the Titans' 41-38 win over the Texans, clinching the AFC South. Um, Ryan Tannehill threw a touchdown pass, ran for two more. That gave him even 40 scores on the season. Think about that. And Derrick Henry, he did it, rushing for 250 yards to become the eighth player in NFL history to amass 2,000 yards in a season. And uh, it was so weird because that's a that's an incredible game, 250 yards. But the Houston defense is so ridiculous and, and so non-competitive. And we've seen it because Derrick Henry's previous two games against the Houston Texans defense, he also had over 200 yards. But in this game, needing the 223 or whatever it was to get to 2,000, it was kind of like, uh, in the bag, even by halftime, he was he still was like 150 yards away. But it was like, no, he's going to get this. And then it just became, wait, he's, he's not going to catch Dickerson uh, because he's done that his entire career these last three years, amazing Hall of Fame years, where you know his numbers are good but not great. Oh, then all up 77 yards down the right sideline, and all of a sudden you could make up a lot of ground and become the all-time rusher. He didn't get that, but he got 2,000, and the Titans win the AFC South, even though Chris Wessling, they're a hard team to trust because I can't – I continue, I tweeted about this because I, I struggle to wrap my head around it. I know it's a different world now in the NFL, and the numbers are a little screwy, especially when you compare it to old eras. But here's a team that has a 2,000-yard rusher, 
and a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill who had 33 touchdown passes and seven rushing scores for 40. And yet I see them as one of the weaker uh, AFC uh, contenders, quote unquote, because the defense is so bad to have all that on offense and still, I feel like be highly vulnerable in round one. That's unusual. So weird to picture the Titans in that way where offensively just flush with talent. You win with superstars and A.J. Brown, that play he made down the middle for 50 yards. What an <laughs> mm-hmm. awesome play. And he just makes plays every week. Uh, Corey Davis falls 15 yards shy of a thousand. And what he, people who watch him every week know he had a, his best year by far. John O. Smith, one of the better run after catch tight ends in the league. They are flush with talent on one side of the ball and on the other side of the ball. Say it every week. They cannot rush the passer, so they can't stop anyone. It It's like next level how they can't stop anyone, though. I mean, if Brandon Cooks doesn't drop a, a first down throw that from Deshaun Watson with about 36 seconds left, you know, he either would have had a first down and been closer in field goal range or it would have set up second down and the clock would have run. This thing would have either gone to overtime or the Texans uh, would have won regulation. I had no faith that the Titans were going to be able to force uh, a stop there. They needed a little luck. They made a couple good plays after that to force force the field goal. But the crazy thing is, you know, the, the Titans got the ball back, I believe, with 19 seconds left, 18 seconds left. And I thought, in one time out, and I thought, like, Oh, that's probably enough time. That's pro- that's probably <laughs> enough time for Ryan Tannehill. I figured it would take two plays to get into field goal range, not not one. I was like, that's probably enough time to get a kickoff here because the Titans are that good and the Texans are that bad, and uh, it came together. What a, what an awesome game. The way that I was down on Week 17 going into it, but I have to say the way that the late games were all like back and forth, like you didn't – the Colts could have been anywhere from the four seed to out of the playoffs with like eight minutes left. It worked out pretty good. They gave us some good – late week 17 drama. So thank you, Texans and I mean, it is an odd thing from an employment angle to be heavily tracking seven games at the same time. (laughs) Um, It it may be a few more than I need on a weekly basis, but it was, you're right, Greg, it was thrilling. And I'm just watching the face, Mike Rabel's expressions underneath the mask, but you can still sort of get, you know, read on the eyes, um, watching his defense just get literally fried. But but the, the floor for the offense is so high that I don't, I kind of, have more belief than doubt in them. They're in and ev- they're just, in every game at least because of that. I, I'm with you, Dan. That it's hard to like see them surviving all the way, but uh, but you also figure like they're they're in every game. One one quick thing I, I saw after the game was Vrabel giving a big shout out um, to his owner, who's from Houston, who ripped the team away from Houston. It's kind of an underrated uh, Art Modell situation. Uh, so the first comment he has is giving his credit to Amy Strunk Adams, who's, you know, whose dad took the team from Houston. How about that? They go to Houston, they win the division over him to end their season, and they stick it in their nose. Like, uh, Are we celebrating this? Or is I'm, not, I'm not. What, I don't what like angle it. are we coming from? I don't here? like it, but it's sort of like an <laughs> underrated thing that like they're just allowed to dance on uh, the, the team's grave that they, they stole away. And, you know, to finish the way the Texans did, which is what, 4-12? and 12? Did they get five or are they at four? Four. Four and 12. And the, the what comes out of a season like that is a bedrock draft pick, hopefully. You don't even have that because, as we said, no. the Miami Dolphins have the number three overall pick because of the Bill O'Brien trade to get Laramie Tunzel. Uh, so just an all-around 
uh, really bad season uh, for Houston and uh, and for Tennessee. Maybe West. Maybe this is because you look at the rest of the AFC and you know even the Steelers' defense, which we've sung uh, the praises of all year and rightfully so. They've had some moments of lapse. Maybe it's going to be a wild type of playoff where the team with the most explosive superstar talent on offense just makes a run. And you know the Chiefs are a team that can match anyone in a shootout. But I guess I, I shouldn't be too hard on the Titans, and I was a little bit earlier, because uh, the defense is that bad, but the offense might be that good to shock some people. Yeah, who wouldn't like a, a bonanza playoff? Right. Just a scoring bonanza. Just take off every game. Bills, Chiefs, Titans, Ravens. Like there, There's a lot of 40 burgers in there. That was the most obvious 41-38 game ever. (laughs) There was no doubt that Deshaun Watson was going to go nuts one more time, and no doubt the Tennessee Titans defense would stink, and you knew Derrick Henry was going to go absolutely mad. Uh, So a fun game to watch, even if it was, I guess, in a way, a little bit predictable. Okay. Oh, one more thing. I got to get, because we just did the uh, uh, announcer power rankings. Mm-hmm. Wes, I wish you were on that show. Um, but, and, you know, some maybe shots were taken uh, at the uh, a certain team, Greg Gumbel and Rich Gannon. I don't think they were high up in either list uh, for Greg and Mark. Maybe Gannon did a little bit better. He did fine. I he think did that okay. part of it, I mean, I like I, judging them as teams, but Ned, yeah. Derek Henry. Gumbel, please. Derrick Henry runs for 2,000 yards, and I mean, it is beyond an afterthought with these guys. This is what it sounds like when Derrick Henry goes over 2,000 yards. <laughs> Eight player shots. I love it. Second and five. This is Henry. Henry has enough for the first down at midfield. One thing about Tennessee, they won't panic. They play to a certain style offensively. That's now... He's now over 2,000, just the eighth player in NFL history to do that. Congratulations to Derrick Henry. That is a that is a season full of work. That's, that's not, not easy. 372 carries to get it done. He's just a beast. A season full of work, absolutely. I think they, I think they nailed it. The mood, the tone, the moment. Sounded like a season full of sentence. It sounded like an exhibition game is what it sounded like. And 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 since I'm getting down on someone, let me uh, pull back, going back to the Browns game and Kevin Harlan. They show Jarvis Landry on the sideline flossing for some reason, which is like an insane person who would floss in the middle of a football game. Uh, Kevin Harlan comes out of nowhere with this gem for the ages. And his dental hygiene is something to take note of, kids out there. There's never a bad place to floss. <laughs> he sounds wait like a minute. A- so wait, so <laughs> Stefan Diggs was also flossing today? What, who? What? Wait, who was that? Maybe I believe I it was. I believe it was Stefan Diggs. Oh, it was Diggs, I don't not Landry. With, uh, yeah. I, I am sorry, Mark. I apologize. No, um, I just you know, in the sake of that, he's I, and that moment is like, why? What does Kevin Harlan remind me of? He's like a he does like voiceovers for Ovaltine in 1947. <laughs> <laughs> he's the total guy. package. All right, enough of this funny business. All right, talked about the Titans. The Colts entered this game, entered this week on the outside looking in in the playoff picture. Uh, nearly won the damn division, and they're going to the dance. They had the Jaguars in Week 17. Rivers, ball the near hash, hands off to Jonathan oh. Taylor. Huge hole! He's at the 30! He's going to go! 10, 5, touchdown! Jonathan Taylor made a man miss the line of scrimmage and then runs it into Payton from 45 yards out. Touchdown! I-N-D-Y! Jonathan Taylor have a day over 200 rushing yards! Nice call, Matt Taylor. 
WFNI. Forgot about JTT. Remember JTT? Jonathan Taylor Thomas. All about JFT. Jonathan and Taylor. Yeah. The running back capped a torrid close to his rookie season with 253 yards, including the game-winning 45-yard score in a 28-14 win over the Jaguars. The Colts clinched the seventh seed. They'll face the Bills next weekend. Greg, Taylor's rise has been a game-changer for Indy. I can't remember a player improving this much within one season. He was one of the biggest busts in the first half, and I think one of the best running backs in the league down the stretch. I mean, he's going to be a first-round fantasy pick next year, I would imagine. Uh, and I think he- Remember a, a month ago when I asked you, starting now, whose career would you rather have? Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor or James Robinson? Yeah, now I'm taking Taylor. Without a doubt. <laughs> Put it, what did I say then? Did I get it right or wrong then? You said you got to go with Robinson. Oh, see, that, bad job. You got to look into the future. This guy, I mean, he... Good to have uh, you back, Wes. Yeah. Even he changed... Um, <laughs> I mean, Robinson was out for this game. Who knows what would happen then? Uh, it was fitting that Taylor did it because he's really what separates them right now from a, a hugely disappointing end to the season. What, like, what a roller coaster day for the Colts. They get the help they need early. You know, they find out the Dolphins lose and that they're winning in. They get up 20 to nothing. Okay, we're going to sail to this thing. Then the Texans start blowing their game, and they're starting to think, we can win the division. But right as that's happening, Mike Glennon starts hitting third and 14s, third and eights, third and nines, and the, the Jaguars score a couple touchdowns to cut it from 20 to 14, and the Colts' offense goes to sleep just like it did a week ago. Six straight possessions without a single point against the Jacksonville Jaguars in a must-win situation. That included two missed field goals by Blankenship, who's had a good year. Um, but it was fitting that Taylor was the guy who kind of put them on their back with that run, and that DeForest Buckner and Kamiko Ture, uh, who have you know, both been good this year, but Buckner's obviously carried them, had two sacks, and Teray with a huge sack kind of saved them. The defense stood up at a certain point when it really felt like, wow, the Colts are going to gag this thing away. Is this how Phillip Rivers' career ends? Uh, and the defense and the running game ultimately didn't let it happen. Thank God. I, I'm, well, at least I'm happy. And Darius Leonard, too. Um, yep. I mean, when he makes an impact, he does not do it without flash. And, you know, there were reports before this game that, Philip Rivers basically has said, unless he's brought back to play for the Colts, he's going to hang up the cleats. And so we get one more week of Philip Rivers. That could have been the end. And you're right. Um, they didn't have the scores in their stadium. So they didn't know what was going on with Tennessee, but they made this far too interesting. And when I look at the AFC playoff field, I, I'd have to put the Colts um, as a team that I just struggle to believe in uh, to the level of some of these other teams. But they find a way to win these games ugly. And if you're going to get that kind of rushing performance, who knows? I mean, they, gotta play the, they have the Bills. Good they got to play the Bills. The bills. Like if you, it's if, a loaded If conference. they were playing the Steelers, yeah. you're thinking, okay, you know, or even the Titans, yeah. who they're familiar with. But but the Bills, that's a tough draw. I mean, you got the Chiefs, obviously. You have the Bills. You have the Ravens. Uh, you have the Steelers, even though I know that they, they stumbled down the stretch. They started the season with 11 straight wins. That's a 12-win team. I think uh, the Colts, uh, you know, they're they're very good. Are are they great, Wes? Do they have that next gear, which you're going to need to hit to win a Super Bowl? No, I think we've, we've been talking about it all year. They're, they're just shy of being great because they don't have their full complement of receivers. They never had Paris Campbell healthy. They never had all their young guys healthy at the same time. 
Philip Philip Rivers needs Jacoby Brissett in the red zone to have a complete quarterback because he's too limited in the red zone. They're just shy of of, of being a full team. Well, we and we they we also haven't mentioned since we've last taped they lost Anthony Costanzo, their great left tackle for the season. He's not coming back. That wasn't their problem today. Rivers was really not bothered, um, but their passing game hasn't developed. I don't think it's injuries either. You know. Compared to most teams, they're they're relatively healthy, and they had a stretch where the passing game looked better. But when Rivers is going six point one yards per attempt against the Jags, he had a bad interception in the second half. Could have had a couple. You never know. Maybe he comes up with one great last playoff performance. I also wouldn't be shocked if the Colts did bring him back. I mean, it, I don't know. Just knowing their history, are they sure they're going to be able to do better than Philip Rivers? Maybe not. So it might not be the end for him. But man, they they avoided what would have been a regrettable gag job to to end this season, having back to back games like that. All right, let's move on. And it is time. It's that time of the show. It's tag team time. Two handsome. Uh, bald gentleman on the show, but not for long because Nick Shook joins us and Chris Wessling says goodbye. Wes, as always, your presence uh, lifts the show to a much higher plane and we have nothing but love and respect for your abilities and uh, you giving us the time today. Any final words? Uh, my voice is done. Shook, take mm. it from here. Mm. You want to you want to stick me with anything else dumb I said a month ago, Wes? Before you go, <laughs> no, I actually Wes asked some bombs. I asked the whole podcast that question. You were the only one who answered. Okay, see go. the rest of us were like, I'm not saying anything. There you go, Chris Wessling, the king. Go see rest up, my friend. Shook, how are you, buddy? I'm fantastic. Um, I've spent the last what is this five hours or so. Um, in between watching multiple games once and all the audio from the broadcast, hearing people outside my apartment screaming with joy. It is a, Ooh, an evening of celebration in downtown Cleveland. You'd think they won the Super Bowl here. So it's well, cool. In a way, well, you know, for a team that has had as uh, much bad fortune as the Browns have since they rejoined the league, I, I get that. Hopefully people are doing it the smart way. How many people are in that stadium today? I, it looked I, like there's 50,000 like there. 18,000 or something or 12,000? It sounded like, like 50,000. I think 50, they left 000. people in there. They were allowed. Letting more people in there. It was twelve. It was twelve thousand. I saw some guy tweet at Joe Thomas. He was like, "He's like, come on out. You know, the bars are open only for three more hours." I'm like, Joe, please don't go to the bars. (laughs) I will turn a blind eye this one time to um, (laughs) you. Go do whatever you need to do, Cleveland, right outside Shook's window. All right, Shooky. So congratulations to you on the Browns. Uh, You are doing yeoman's work this week uh, because we're going to take kind of a brief pause from the playoff implication level games in the AFC before we get to the AFC to fill in the rest of the margins of week 17. Uh, Two more games, three more games, excuse me, to hit the AFC. Uh, Let's start uh, with what went down in Denver. Two-point attempt. Carr looks left. Fire. Got it. Waller. Jackpot, baby. Jackpot. Raiders 32. Broncos 31. 24 seconds for Drew Locke. Out of baby, Gruden. Out of baby. Roll those dice. <laughs> Listen, Brent Musburger, that, that man, he's not a young man anymore. <laughs> to have that level of vigor for a meaningless week 17 tilt, that was a nice hire by the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Musburger, KRLV. Yes, Josh Jacobs plunged in from one yard out to get the Raiders close, and Derek Carr and Darren Waller converted on that two-point conversion in the final second, securing a 32-31 win over the Broncos. Mark, 
30 points in the fourth quarter alone by these two teams. Sounds like a fun, dumb game to close out a disappointing season for the uh, NC West Rivals. Yeah, fun and dumb would be accurate. Um, I, they, I really want to thank the Raiders for going for the two-point conversion there versus taking oh, this geez. into uh, overtime, which could have, gone for, could have gone on for another 25 minutes or so. No, no human needed that. Um, I mean, the Raiders... Um, this was kind of every Raiders game, like Jerry Judy of the Broncos. We said, you know, we we saw what he, what happened against the Chargers last week, drop prone, um, horrible performance. You'd think that would be the note that you go into the off season with. It's the Raiders defense, so they get right. Um, Jerry Judy had a 92 yard touchdown that you know looked like it could have been the game winner, and then Oakland came back. Oakland at one point had three turnovers and five snaps. Um, you get a little bit of good from Derek Carr. You get enough from Derek Carr. Again, I'm I'm not trying to read um, what's going on with some of these coaches, but Gruden underneath the mask looked absolutely steamed at Derek Carr at points in this game. Um, mm. But their issues are on defense. They 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 did enough on offense to get this thing done. Uh, I, you know, two teams with a ton of questions. I don't know if either starting quarterback is the starting quarterback next year. Um, I, wow. Well, I mean, I I don't know. I think this is now we're this putting was, Derek Carr in the same class as Drew Locke. I know. No, I'm not putting. I know we put a lot of heat on Derek Carr in this podcast, but now we're getting crazy. Oh, I'm not putting them in the same class. I just think that like there's something, and this this is just in the water. I think it's been that way the whole time. I don't get the sense that Gruden is thinking we're good at quarterback. I think that you know today kind of advertised why you know Derek Carr is um, a quality starter, but. Is he going to get you over the hump? And at what point do they look at somewhere else? Well, how about I mean, this? How about from this perspective? Maybe you Derek also Carr, like him a lot more than I do, and there's just no bridging I, that no, gap. He's, he's fine. I guess I defend him because I think he's a little better than he gets credit for, but he is not great by any stretch. You could probably do better than him if you hit on a quarterback in the draft or maybe even one of these veterans that shake free. But if I'm if I'm looking at the Raiders, if I'm Mike Mayock and John Gruden, and I'm like, how do I fix this team? I, I'm going to the defensive side of the ball before I go replace the quarterback. That's just well, me. Well, if they the knew how to do that, they would have done something. He's been there three years. So, I'm, I mean, they certainly have to keep trying. All I could think watching the end of this game is Andy Reid – I mean, I know he wasn't you know free to be watching on TV, but if he was, he should just be thinking, "Man, this is a nice division to be in." These coaches just <laughs> bungling these like they were, you know, Vic Fangio and Gruden. It's like this is how Belichick had it. Wow, what a setup! Right, like he basically was looking, be like, "Are you guys doing an Anthony Lynn impression on purpose? Like, are you trying to lose this game with the time management?" It was it was crazy going back and forth. I, I was losing my mind. It was yeah, well, that, they, and Fangio uh, took a timeout at one point that allowed the Raiders right. to oh, completely sure. climb. I, I was thinking, you know, and there's all, all, all these games have these moments like Greg's head would explode. Gruden, you, were, you were watching it. Gruden took but. his headset off with 12 seconds left and potentially like three more snaps for the Broncos. He just decided, you know what, I'm just not even going to – I'm not even going to be involved with the strategic decisions for the rest of this game. I'm just like done with this season, which, you know, we've all been maybe it's Maybe it's not Carr and it's not the defense. It could be the head coach. But I know you love him as well, Dan, so I will no. – Get off my my. You, no, that's not true either. I don't love John Gruden. I think I don't he's know. a fun I mean, personality, but there's no sense debating whether John Gruden should be the right head coach because he's going to be the head coach because he just right. signed, it's a ten year contract well, and he's I think entering just finishing year three. That doesn't make it right, but you are correct that that is the case. Um, all right, let's move on. A handoff to Michelle, coming to the near side, flips it back to Myers. He's going to throw it to the right for Cam Newton. Makes the catch at the 7, inside the 5, into the end zone. Touchdown, Patriots, on the second TV toss by Jacoby Myers. Best throw all day, right there. Bob Sochi, of course, Scott Zolak. 
Goes out on a high note, WBZ. Cam Newton threw three touchdown passes and caught another, and the Patriots rallied to beat the Jets 28-14. The win snapped a three-game losing streak uh, for the Pats, um, and that's ten straight wins over the Jets. So everybody else gets healthy against the Pats, not the Jets. Shook, uh, this is the end of the road, though, for the Patriots, and that's a new reality. Yeah, it's a new reality, and it's an uncertain reality. And this is going to be the second straight offseason in which they go into it not really knowing what their situation is going to be at quarterback. The difference is, is last year it was, well, Tom Brady either comes back or we figure something out. Now it's, do we want Cam Newton back or do we look somewhere else? Because I think we've learned enough from what they've done with Jarrett Stidham, Stidham or not done with him this year to really tell us what we think or what they think about him. And Cam goes out on a strong note, at least for this season, and maybe gives you uh, some consideration for bringing him back. I mean, he has sparkling passer rating, 242 yards, three touchdowns, all that good stuff. Um, but again, it is the Jets, and unlike last week, uh, the Jets couldn't hold on to their early lead uh, that, that stretched into the second half. But, you know, there's there's no better way, I think, to come back uh, in a game than uh, by scoring and then getting an interception after you threw a touchdown mm. pass to your quarterback and then scoring two more touchdowns and putting a game that you were trailing in against a bad team away and going into the offseason at 7-9 and nine and not really knowing what the hell your team's going to be next year other than the guys you're going to get back who opted out uh, this year. So uh, it's a weird reality. It's definitely not one that we associate uh, with that uh, flying Elvis logo on the side of their helmets. Well, Belichick mm. was really annoyed at, after the game about what he thought was a report from Adam Schefter that they were, you know, that they were moving on from Cam Newton, and it got to the point where I, I think Mike Reese he he certainly clarified on Twitter. I think he might have done it on the call, actually saying no. Adam Schefter didn't really report that. It was like one of those games of telephone that Schefter was just kind of in a conversation, thinking that uh, you know, saying he doesn't think the Patriots are going to keep him. Then it gets passed along as some report when it wasn't a report, and like. Belichick was spitting fire. He's like, well, why don't you go ask your anonymous sources, you know, who our quarterback is next year, Jake, trying to stand up uh, for Cam. He has appreciated Cam all year. Um, I don't think that was phony. Like, Cam won the good guy award from the media there. Like, you know, they all they all like the experience, but I can't imagine Cam's going to be back. We have the whole offseason. This game doesn't matter. 7-9. and nine, That just felt like – it felt like this was a 7-9 and nine Patriots team all along, and that's, like, right where they ended up. And that's where they are, 7-9. and nine, And uh, Belichick – uh, will decide who his quarterback is. We don't know who the Jets quarterback is in 2021, but it won't be Adam Gase that has anything to do with that decision. It just came down a few minutes ago. Uh, the New York Jets, let's get some missive music here, Ricky. The New York Jets uh, informed Adam Gase that his time with the franchise is over. Here's what Christopher Johnson, chairman and CEO, said in a statement. Our strong finish last year was encouraging, but unfortunately we did not sustain that positive momentum or see the progress we expected this season. To our fans, it is obvious we have not been a good, good enough. We are committed to building a strong organization on and off the field and will continue to provide the necessary resources to field a team that you can be proud of. It has been a long time since I've been proud uh, of a Jets football team. It's been 10 years. In fact... Uh, it You can stop that now, Ricky. In fact, it's no longer his missive. It's now mine. In fact, uh, now that the Browns are in the playoffs and the Bucks are in the playoffs, no team in the NFL is on a longer playoff drought than the Jets. 
and they have to do something big this offseason. We have to see how it's all going to play out. It starts, though, and I sincerely believe this, not with the number two overall pick, and that got a little bit more interesting with what Justin Fields did in the college football playoff over the weekend, but with the head coach. They need to hit on this head coach and get an adult in the building, a CEO-type dude who knows how to run an organization and can work alongside Joe Douglas. And Joe Douglas, the GM, needs to be the guy that picks who the head coach is. They need to be on the same page. And, and they want to keep the structure in place that where the ownership is the, you know, the GM and the coach report to the owner, fine. But give Joe Douglas the power to choose who this guy is. That's how you get this thing off on the right foot. It can go in any direction. Um, in terms of who they go with, whether it's an Eric Bieniemy type or an Arthur Smith or someone from college, I, I don't, I don't really care. I don't have a strong feeling on who it is. Uh, I just need it to be someone uh, that, again, can handle this job and everything that comes with it. Because that was Adam Gase among his amongst his many failures was his inability to handle the job in the locker room with players, with the media, and even starting with his opening press conference, which goes down in the annals of New York sports uh, for how funny it was to people. They need to be better. Uh, Enough is enough. Get this right. I don't know if I I trust uh, ownership to just be letting Joe Douglas make the decision. You shouldn't. Nobody should trust Jets' ownership after – what's happened these last this last decade but i'm hoping maybe they've learned some lessons from the gase hire which obviously was a disaster uh from start to finish another way to look at it all right i feel like we've we've we usually like do the thing where we kind of like read an obituary and go over like you know what the coaching tenure i feel like we've we've done that four times at least with gase like we've written his obituary like six times right yeah this is probably the least surprising firing that happened immediately after a game in in the last five years in nfl history maybe yeah for sure all right let's keep rolling the chargers and the Chiefs and meaningless. Listen to the grittiness of uh, yeah, can you Nick Shook's Cleveland neighborhood. It sounds like the fantasy corner to some like, degree. It's like that, Gotham City or something. That's like a fire truck. Well, it doesn't help that I'm like right across the street from like the, the Justice Center for downtown. So You're okay. going to be up late tonight, I predict. Uh, There's Nick a, yeah, the people of Cleveland. What does that mean? They're, they're out in the streets? They're just going wild? Careful you, are out you, there. You can, are you looking? In, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not near a window. I mean, my, this room's surrounded by windows, but I would have to stand up and walk away from the camera to look at this. No, but yeah, they're that. out there. They're out All right. There. Let's, uh, let's keep rolling. Let's head to Arrowhead. Herbert, play action again. Sets his feet, takes Money. a shot downfield with the heave. Left sideline, Mike Williams caught. Touchdown, Chargers. Yes, Matt Money Smith, of course, with the call for the Chargers Radio Network. Justin Herbert capped a glorious rookie season with three touchdown passes leading the Chargers to a 38-21 win over the Patrick Mahomes-less Chiefs. Shook, the Bulls end the season on a four-game winning streak, and, you know, that combined with the brilliance of Herbert's debut season, it makes you think that Anthony Lynn is going to be safe at the end. Yeah, you know, I think if they didn't have quarterback figured out at this point, it might be a little less stable, and you kind of have to discount the win today. I know the Chiefs are obviously the number one seed in the AFC, but not having Patrick Mahomes is a big deal um, and affects a game like that. But I think the fact that they have quarterback figured out answers a really big question for them. And they have a core roster-wise, when you look at their starting lineup on, on both sides of the ball, I think really defensively more than offensively, that you could say, well, this this is a team that should compete, but that's also been the story of this team for the last two years. We've talked so much about how they lost nine 
9 of 11 games last year by one possession. They lose close games again this year because they're still kind of out of sorts. We just discussed that, you know, uh, in relation to the Broncos and the Raiders. So I think it does give him, you know, a a little bit of a boost in sticking around. And I have a weird feeling that the Chargers aren't going to be about making a change because of this type of result and because of Herbert's play as a rookie. But I'm not really convinced. I mean, I need to, I need it to be proven to me. Uh, in a close game, if he does keep his job next year, they finally turned a corner because at this point, I'm, I'm, uh, I know this is kind of a negative take on this, but I'm kind of tired of just making excuses or, or thinking, well, but if, but it feels like what Browns fans used to do with their team. Well, they won the, they almost beat this team and you win this game and you win this game. The situation turns out a lot different. That's not enough for me, but they do have quarterback figured out, which is, you know, that's a really positive sign. I mean, Jay Glazer this morning went in the other direction and reported that Lynn was not expected to be safe. Um, I mean, TBD, but I, I don't think it's totally um, decided. And, you know, to, to his to, to in his argument, they've missed 109 starts by players that should have been starters for them this year, which is among the highest in the NFL. And um, to your, you're right, Nick. It feels like every year we're talking about Chargers injuries. But um, it just to me, it's a case study in how different organizations proceed, because I don't I, I want to be convinced that if they keep Lynn, it's because they truly think that Lynn is the best coach for the job versus we're an organization that doesn't want to pay um, fired coaches while hiring another one. All right, let's move on to Detroit where the Vikings and Lions finished out their slate. Back to pass, nine seconds to go, throws left. It's caught by BB. bounces off two Lions, 10-5, touchdown! A 40-yard touchdown for Chad Beebe who, like a pinball in a pinball machine, bounced off a couple of bumpers wearing Honolulu blue for the second touchdown of his career. And for Kirk, he has three, which means he's thrown the second most touchdowns in a season in the history of Vikings football, and we have taken the lead. Paul Allen, KFAN with the call. A meaningless Week 17 game against the Detroit defense? It's Kirk Cousins domination time, baby! Cousins threw three touchdown passes, ran for another score, passed for 405 total in the 39-37 win. Minnesota finishes 7-9, Detroit 5-11. Shook, what are the positives to take out of the season for the Vikings? Uh, number one positive that you can't ignore is the fact that you found your replacement for Stephon Diggs and a bona fide number one receiver in Justin Jefferson. Uh, that's the greatest trade perhaps in the history of the NFL in terms of how it worked out for both mm, sides. I like He's that been- take. He's been awesome this year. Um, he's he's going to be awesome because what makes him good is, is going to continue. It's not the fact that he's uh, necessarily a burner. He's a fast guy, but he's a complete route runner, even at his age. And um, it's only going to continue to get better. Kirk Cousins has made the most, I think, or at least at least uh, established a relationship with him uh, on the field where you, you think that you know they can reach new heights as the seasons go on. Uh, and of course, you have Dalvin Cook on the offensive side of the ball. Now, the defensive side of the ball is is where they need to get better. This was a season of change for them. They had a lot of different personnel, a lot of different moving parts coming in and out of uh, Minnesota. Uh, a lot of veterans that, that they relied on who left. They had to turn to young guys at corner, Cam Dancer being one, Jeff Gladney being another. So uh, I know they kept their safeties intact, but I guess we shouldn't be entirely surprised by the fact that they weren't this good. They need to get off to a better start, and maybe we're talking about uh, a better team, you know, going forward. And maybe that happens in twenty twenty one. I uh, I saw some comments from the Lions, you know, beat guys. It really feels like St- Matthew Stafford's 
you know, in his pressers have almost been like saying goodbye to Detroit. He's like opening up more than he ever is. He's sort of putting his whole tenure there into context. You're seeing his media buddies like Dan Orlovsky make the case aggressively that he needs to be out. I, I don't think any of this is a mistake. I think Stafford wants out um, or is hoping that, that he gets out. And we don't need to go over it now because I want to get to the good games. But I think it's coming. I think it's coming. <laughs> One little Lions nugget. There are reports so that... There are reports that Detroit your is make Greg, a... when you're trying to like move the show along. It just like speeds up and they're like, ah, da, 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 da. I like <laughs> Go There are reports that Detroit is going to chase Seahawks general manager John Schneider. So yeah, Ian, Ian got that one. Stay that, tuned. Would, that would be interesting. That would be a heck of a coup, I think, for them. And yeah, I, it's been all it's been all over the uh, breadcrumbs on this. I agree with you. Uh, Greg Matthew Stafford the fact that he played in that game today and I know he's a tough dude but with all the injuries it felt like a guy that wanted to go out with one more game with Detroit we'll see on the field uh, what happened shook uh, you've come uh, you survived I don't know if the building you're in is going to survive what's happening in Cleveland right now um, I almost worry about the city if they win a playoff game but uh, for now it appears that you're safe and we thank you uh, for giving us excellent work as the sixth man of the year. That's why Greg agreed that you should be named the pipe. No, we did not. No, I called. I said, let's just go sixth man or whatever. I don't know. But pipe is not is not good. We're not you good. know what's funny about that, Dan? We've talked about this. My profile picture on Slack for the last four years has been a picture of J.R. Smith walking downtown next to my little sister during the Cavs parade. So it fits. It fits. But uh, about uh, worrying about the, the state of the city if the Browns win a playoff game, they're not going to have a home playoff game. So we don't have to worry about that, at least not mm. this year. All right. Well not, said. Not the guy so, you want next to your sister, I wouldn't think. You know. No, she was there. she was like fifteen. That's yeah, all right. Okay. Hopefully. Well, we hope. We hope. And yeah, we're just you know doesn't you know, and well. you know you better treat Nick Shook's sister well in general because Nick Shook will be coming after you if you ever do her dirty. See, it's all out there, Nick. There he goes. The pipe is off. Let's now head over to the NFC rel- playoff relevant games, starting right at the top where the number one seed was up for grabs, at least until the Packers were done with the Bears. Rodgers looking over the defense on third down. Third and about four. Snap to Rodgers. Blitz on. Rodgers lofts it deep down the middle. Got a man out there. It's MVS, and he is Gone! 10-5! End zone! Touchdown! Green Bay Packers! 72 yards! You know, I think um, that was Wayne Larrabee, WTMJ. Aaron Rodgers, I believe, finished with 47 touchdowns uh, this year. He'd have probably 59 if MVS caught most of the wide-open bombs thrown his way this year. He dropped another one today, but he did catch that one, that 72-yard strike uh, from Aaron Rodgers uh, that... Put the Packers in control. They cruised to a 35-16 win. Yes, they clinched the number one seed in the NFC. Uh, They will have an open round next week. They will not play. They have the bye. And then they will host uh, the lowest seed remaining in the divisional round. And if they get out of that round, yes, they will host the NFC title game. The Packers have gone 13-3 and now in each of Matt LaFleur's first two seasons on the sideline. Pretty damn good. And... Aaron Rodgers enters the playoffs, boys, playing at a level that approaches the highest of highs uh, in his legendary career. Yeah, I think getting a game without David Bakhtiari under their belts, especially, you know, matched up against Khalil Mack in this, you know, solid pass rush uh, and doing what they needed to do, I think it would be good for their confidence. I mean, 
it's Rick Wagner and Billy Turner, two guys who are you know, pretty disappointing elsewhere, like free agent pickups, and it's really all about the system, and it's Rodgers making them look better because their offensive line is, is great, and they're going to miss Bakhtiari, but to be able to put up 35 and ultimately pull away from the Bears says a lot, and I, I think the NFC is still very balanced. I don't think they're huge favorites here, but I know I think they'll be rooting on the Bears next week and hope for this rematch, you know, because then they get the Bears again. And it should well, be I don't said, think- just to be clear, David Bakhtiari, they're all pro left tackle. He uh, blew out his knee in practice on Thursday. That happened after we recorded. Mm. That's what uh, Greg's referring to. I mean, these stadiums with, you know, very few or no fans, what makes up a home field advantage? I think we'd all agree that a team like the Bucks or the Rams having to go into, you know, my, sub-minus temperatures um, is a mess. And part of it is the way that we see Green Bay play in the snow, as if there are no elements at all. And um, I think Matt LaFleur, you know, last year, I think I was on the record saying that 13-3 and three didn't look like 13-3 and three to me. I totally believe in this team in the NFC right now. And I think that his two-year span of um, coaching is massively under the radar. It's, it's almost like it's been normalized or people are just bored with it or it's not a talking point. I mean, you're getting Aaron Rodgers playing right now at a level that um, it, it's going to take something rather uh, remarkable to shake him up. I mean, they're like, yeah, like losing your left tackle is huge. But, can, but every, every team is dealing with something like this somewhere. And can they overcome it? Um, I don't love their defense, but yes, they can. This NFC side of the board is nothing close to the AFCs. We can lift up teams like the Rams and, and fill in the blank, but the Packers have an easier course than almost any AFC team would. This is an interesting game, too, because you look at the final score, 35-16. Oh, blowout, just like we all predicted, which is why all three of us locked up the Packers. It just felt like Green Bay, with a lot to play for, was going to bring the Bears down to earth, who were on a three-game winning streak, but it was against three of the worst defenses in football. It kind of played out that way, but this was also a game that was 21-16 with 11 minutes to play in the fourth quarter, and Chicago has the ball. Uh, the drop by Valdez Scantling that I referred to came in the third quarter. It was as bad as bad gets. The worst drop you'll see by any guy this season. It would have put the game essentially um, on life support. Instead, Aaron Rodgers takes a sack on third down after that. They have to punt it away. And the Bears go on a 15-play, 51-yard drive that takes <laughs> up over eight minutes of the clock. And it ends... Uh, on fourth and one at the Green Bay 25 with an incompletion from Trubisky to Allen Robinson. That's an Adam Gase uh, special, 15 for 51 yes. for nothing. <laughs> and after that turnover on downs, which again, chewed up more than half a quarter of game time, uh, Chicago's defense gave up touchdown, Mitch Trubisky interception, Green Bay touchdown, game over. So I don't know what the Bears are going to do going forward. It's a it's an interesting situation because Trubisky obviously played a lot better once he got his job back. Uh, but I I would sometimes we put too much into Week 17, and and by we I mean decision makers in the league. But I I think Bears fans Bears management if they are thinking of giving Trubisky another chance on this team should look very closely at this game uh, compared to the other three games, because once the competition rose up, he was not able to play at the same level he was uh, earlier this month. Well, and they'll have next week's you know game against the Saints to look at, and that defense might... 
find a way to solve Mitch Trubisky too. I mean, I I don't know who should be making those decisions. I wouldn't allow the GM to be mm, making any of them. Mm. And and we don't know that for sure. Although there was a report Nagy is expected to be back, which makes me think Ryan Pace, the GM, is going to be back. I think making it to the playoffs will matter with this ownership, which is you know not known as the most active ownership in the world. You're you're well, also uh, known as asleep at the wheel. Well, I mean, that's way, uh, one on. way to put yeah. it. You know who wasn't asleep at the wheel? Old Dan Hansis, who had Aaron Rodgers. Um, getting that all pro. I will um, recognize now it'd be stunning if he did not win MVP and first team all pro. And you, you just mentioned LaFleur and that got me thinking, you know, Mark, these voters send in their votes this week. It's like, I think it's, you know, it's due Wednesday or Thursday, something like that. It's before the playoff games in the way the season ended for Miami, who would have been my pick. Um, Flor- Brian Flores. I think he still would. I, I would go Flores. In, in the way it ended for Green Bay, I you know I think Sean Payton will get some votes. Stefanski will get some votes. I think Lafleur will get some votes. It's it's pretty unpredictable, but it wouldn't wouldn't shock me if Lafleur ends up winning that award. Sure, and it would be well earned. He, I mean, it's unbelievable. Twenty six and six uh, to start his career in the regular season. They won a playoff game last year. Uh, got wiped out in the NFC title game. The way the NFC sets up, and we'll get to the playoff picture at the end of the show, um, you can definitely make the case for the Packers going back to the Super Bowl, uh, something they've fallen short on uh, 10 years in a row. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, one of those other superpowers in the NFC is the Saints. They entered Sunday hoping for a chance to swipe that number one overall seed, uh, but they needed help to do it. But first, they had to take care of the Panthers. Brees fakes the handoff, looks to throw over the middle. Touchdown! Right down the center of the field. Zach Streif, WWL. Drew Brees threw for 201 yards and three touchdowns. The Saints had five interceptions. Teddy Bridgewater benched by Matt Rule. And New Orleans defeated the Carolina Panthers 33-7. That locks New Orleans into the number two seed. And the Saints, uh, yes, will host the seventh-seeded Chicago Bears in next week's wild card round. Feels like a nice setup for the Saints. We'll see. I'm gonna lock it up. Oh wait, wrong, <laughs> wrong show. But hold uh, up on that. Hold off on that. But okay. I already like where you're going with that. <laughs> yes, the Saints were rocked by COVID madness in the days leading up to this game. They lost their uh, or most of their entire running back room. But an elite, an elite team like the Saints, they adapt and then they thrive. So no Alvin Kamara, uh, no Latavius Murray. All right, enter Ty Montgomery, who ran for 105 yards on 18 carries to get the Saints their 12th win. They swept the NFC South. That has never happened before. How about that? The NFC South, which Hmm. is famously, at least until recent years, been this ping-pong-type division where nobody had even won back-to-back titles in the first uh, 20-some-odd years of its existence, or I guess it would be less than that, about 15 years initially. Uh, Now the Saints have taken control of this division and you're feeling good about them entering the playoffs, right, Mark? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think you nailed it. The um, the versatility to overcome losing Kamara and the rest. I mean, you weren't playing a playoff team today, but that doesn't matter. I mean, like, you know, that's no small thing to lose a position group. And the way that they fought through that. And, um, you know, I, I look at someone like Emmanuel Sanders, who without Mike Thomas, once again, uh, nine catches today, 63 yards and a touchdown. Not huge numbers, but he's had a couple of weeks like that where he's stepped up and, and they've found a way, um, as much as any team in the league, I think, to mask over star players not being in the lineup, whether it's Breeze or Mike Thomas, fill in the blank. Um, they're extremely balanced. Their defense is super concerning in the NFC if you're going to have to deal with them. And, uh, you know, it, it, 
I would love to see them have this, you know, final trip with Drew Brees in the postseason because I mm. presume it will be um, in New Orleans. They're going to have to go on the road at some point. Um, but this team is this team is a tough out, and I think that there you have to look at the way that they've. Three years in a row lost heartbreaking playoff losses. That breaks franchises. That breaks teams. But the combination of Sean Payton, Breeze, and the rest of this team is different. I, I'm I'm so fascinated by this team. I love the narratives. I mean, you set it up. I mean, I just love the, the spot they're at. It's so unique. It, it's one of the best four-year runs any organization has had the last two decades. The, the only other teams that you could possibly throw in there would be you know, the Patriots who, you know, made, you know, and won three Super Bowls in those four years. The Seahawks who, you know, were in two Super Bowls and won one. The Chiefs of the last four years, you know, who who have a chance to go back and, and won one and end an AFC championship game. The Saints have like two lame playoff wins to show for it. And they have a Hall of Fame quarterback in his last year. And they have this class of 2017 rookie group uh, that's entering their, you know, contract years. Kamara got re-signed, but you got Lattimore and Hendrickson. Everything's blowing up here after the year. It's it's definitely going to be a lot different. There's just a lot on this team. But I, I like how they're coming into the playoffs, especially their lines. Their offensive line can take over. And you never know. The two-seed matters, Mark, because you say they're going to have to go on the road eventually. You know, not if the Packers lose in the divisional round. They, they right. That's what they got to hope for there. And I think getting that two-seed does matter because it means the Saints, if they can beat the Bears, get another home game in the divisional round, and that's big. Yeah, Sean Payton has done such a great job this season navigating through everything, including a slow start, um, especially by the defense, and then the Drew Brees injury, and then handling – of the Taysom Hill situation and Jameis Winston to get to 12 and four uh, again. I mean, the guy just knows what he's doing like him or not. The Carolina Panthers finished five and 11 after the game, Matt rule. Um, he didn't put it, a, he didn't label it an outright benching of Teddy Bridgewater. He said that he felt that Bridgewater was lacking velocity on his throws because he had an ankle injury earlier in the game, which is why uh, he made the decision uh, to uh, bring in, his backup and and it was a disaster for PJ Walker who came in and was intercepted three times. Uh, so the Panthers, I think that's the one other big story for them. They obviously are a team that's rebuilding and it's going to be on rule and whoever the new GM is to figure out what the quarterback room is going to look like. You get the feeling it might look very different. I think it'll just be Teddy and a rookie. You know, just because Teddy's guaranteed so much money next year and it just makes sense for them to add to add a rookie they're they're going to be in the top 10 picks they've asked to interview patriots personnel head nick casario which would be a very interesting hire if if that were uh to go down pairing him with rule i like that i would like that move um it's i i like i like the season from the panthers i do i also like that the saints were so unlucky that they somehow didn't get a buy they're like the first number two seed you know in the nfc to not get a buy all right, let's uh, continue uh, to move, heading over to San Francisco, uh, where the Seattle Seahawks harbored slim hopes of uh, being the number one seed in the NFC. Let's see how their day turned out. So here we go. The turn in hand. Collins this time. Inside the 10, inside the 5. He dives. Touchdown, Seahawks! So back us up 5. It doesn't matter. Alex Collins is going to punch it in for you anyway. Steve Rabel, K-I-R-O, with the call. Alex Collins ran for eight yards, an eight-yard score. Russell Wilson 
Through two fourth quarter touchdown passes to Tyler Lockett. The Seahawks rally to a 26-23 win over the Niners. Uh, they end 12-4, and the Seahawks, with a four-game winning streak. Uh, but they are locked in at the number three seed uh, because of the Saints and Packers winning. The Seahawks will host the rival Rams in the wild card round next weekend. Mark, how good do you feel about the Seahawks after today's game? I would... Um... I'm concerned about their offense. Um, it's it's almost like a flip inverse uh, relation to where they were earlier in the year where the offense was, um, we watched it through the air. We, we had Russell Wilson pegged as a potential MVP because of how they were allowing him to play and how DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett were playing. And the defense was all the concern. I mean, Lockett today set a Seattle Seahawks record for receptions in a season. DK Metcalf set a franchise record for yardage in a season. But a lot of that has to do with the compiled numbers from earlier on. This team had 109 yards at the start of the fourth quarter. Well, they couldn't run the ball. Um, and it took a t- very typical Seahawks finish of the two Tyler Lockett touchdowns and the Alex Collins um, dash for a score. I mean, they came up late um, in a game where, you know, and I, I, I would put this a little bit into it's a divisional game against Kyle Shanahan who uh, and Robert Sala, who I, I thought, again, it's been weeks in a row, coaching lights out, um, made things real tough for Seattle. Sala, Seattle Sala. made things tough for the Niners in, 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 in the opposite way. Um, just sort of a typical NFC West beatdown. And, uh, you know, this Niners team, you know, they keep flashing to the box up in the sky where, like, seven star players are not in the game. <laughs> I mean, they're doing with nobody. And Seattle, um, you know, they work themselves out of a funk to some degree. Do I trust them? Right now, my trust in them is a lot lower than it was a couple weeks ago. The one other thing I'd add is that Jamal Adams, who um, played really well today, he got he injured a shoulder, and Pete Carroll basically said, "Look, we're not. We feel like he can play. We that will be decided in full next week. But um, uh, you know, that's something to monitor. But they they feel like he didn't. He avoided a major injury at least. Six points in their first seven drives. You know, Russ had 101 yards in his first. 24 attempts. Now, part of it, I do think you're right, is because they're in the division. And these teams, they know each other. I think they've got to beat a little bit on what Seattle does. But guess what? They're in the division next week against a team that they just played two weeks ago whose defense made Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense look just as bad until they finally broke midway through the fourth quarter last week. So it... It's it's weird that the NFC West is actually the closest thing to the old NFC East or AFC North. They're like the last division, defensive division kind of left. It, and it doesn't make any sense, but that's where the Rams and the Seahawks and the 49ers at least are right now. This doesn't feel like it's trending in a good direction for the Seahawks. I agree. The Adams injury, uh, we'll see how serious it is, but it's a shoulder injury and he came right out of the game with it. He's obviously the key to that defense. And the offense has just been going in the wrong direction for weeks now. And you have Brandon Staley and that Rams defense. That, that feels like it sets up well. Now, we'll see if it's Jer- John Walford or Jared Goff, and we'll get into all that uh, this week. Uh, but that 12-4 and record for Seattle in the division title, all you know, positive and a really nice season. Uh, but it is that the, the, the offense's disappearing act uh, on some level in the second half that really would have me most worried uh, if I'm supporting Seattle. Especially with the possible defenses that they're face, going to be facing, the Rams and then potentially the Saints. Then again, we, we've seen teams flip flip the switch. they got to be happy they got back to this point with Russell Wilson once again and all these veterans. They're, they're in good position. Speaking of the Rams and John Wolford. 
He's hit as he throws. It's tipped. It is caught. It is intercepted. Troy Hill to 20. Down the left sideline. He hits midfield and cuts to his right. Into space. Troy Hill at the 20. Troy Hill at the 10. Stumbling to pay dirt. A pick six to end the half. Ooh, J.B. Long. The great J.B. Long with the ball for KSPN. Troy Hill picked off a pass from Chris Strebler and took it 84 yards to the house. That was the defining play in the Rams' 18-7 win over the Cardinals in a game that prominently featured backup quarterbacks. Uh, Greg, John Wolford did pretty solid work in place of Jared Goff, accepting that opening interception. And Kyler Murray will now have plenty of time to heal up uh, what looked like a pretty banged up angle. Yeah, it was disappointing that the Cardinals season ends, you know, essentially with Kyler Murray injury in his ankle on the on the first drive of the game he takes a sack his his ankle bends backward awkwardly he's been struggling and and Streveler comes in there and it's Strebler. a ba- it's the battle of the backups um but I I kind of thought it was a battle of the coaches too and I would have said going into this game Sean McVay had it all over Cliff Kingsbury I'm a little down on Cliff and I, I definitely think coming out of this game, Sean McVay has it all over Cliff Kingsbury. He didn't know he was going to have his backup quarterback, to be fair, to Kingsbury. But, you know, they had nothing. Uh, the Cardinals offense did. They had 56 yards late in the third quarter. It is a tough matchup. Whereas the Rams were, were moving the ball. They were dominating this thing. It's weird that it took that pick six to get them finally into the lead. But Wolford looked good. McVay, you know, had him comfortable. It was an aggressive game. They could not run the ball at all, and it, they pretty much put it on Wolford's arm. And despite throwing a ghastly interception on his very first throw, and you thought, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. I thought he played great after that. He did a lot of next-level stuff uh, with his legs and, and with his arm. He, did you he say out- next level? Yeah. I mean, here's what... I mean, above the level he was Define at that. before. Not, no, I mean, know. like, next-level, like quality quarterbacking stuff like multiple times they hit third and long throwing it where he threw past the sticks multiple times he went through his progressions and got to his second um or third read and then with his legs you know he was the leading rusher in the game he outgained the entire cardinals team and he picked up you know a couple third and longs with his legs so that was next level for a backup quarterback next level that mattered too because the rams are banged up in their backfield they can't do what they were able to do a month ago with, you know, guys out of the lineup and he had 56 yards, Welford. And um, our friend Jason Zumwalt, who friend of the show, who is a Cardinals fan, so not happy, but he texted us, Dan and I, early in the game suggesting that Welford was um, essentially just a clone of Sean McVay, that he's just sort of Sean McVay's <laughs> body and face in a helmet. And it looks just like Sean McVay decided, I've had enough of Jared Goff, I'm going to put myself out there. I, I could see it, and I don't know what. Yeah, we'll find out. Jared Goff, of course, had surgery. On I his think thumb. Goff's expected to play. They actually had tape of him throwing the ball quite well in pregame, where I was like, "Wow, could he play?" Because they had him throwing at twenty-five yards on the field. It's kind of interesting. You said he's not expected to play. He is. He is expected to play. I think you know based on what Jim Nance got from <clears throat> from uh, McVeigh, and and based on the video they showed, I was like, "Wow, Goff was kind of spinning it today already." Interesting. Um, All right. So the Rams back in the dance third time in four years under Sean McVay. Sorry about that, Mark. Mm. And we now I am. I am not against that at all. You're very thrilled for them. That could be it, by the way, for uh, Larry Fitzgerald and Patrick Peterson in Arizona. I think that was Mm. it. it was a sad way to end. Fitzgerald wasn't even healthy enough to play today. Woof. All right. Let's uh, head to Tampa. 
The snap. Brady looking, looking, looking. Flushed. Looking. Throws a ball. Wide open receiver. It's caught by Antonio Brown. Flag thrown. Brown will score a touchdown, Tampa Bay. Touchdown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. See what the flag's all about. Fire the cannons anyway. We got plenty of gunpowder. This is the season finale. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Jane Daggerhoff, WFUS with a great call. Tom Brady threw for 399 yards and four touchdowns. This is Tom Brady. This is 2020. Uh, helping the playoff-bound Bucks clinch the fifth seed in the NFC, 44-27. to They whoop up on the Falcons, who aren't so youngry under Raheem Morris anymore. That's four straight wins for the Bucs. Uh, they will get the NFC East champion on the road next weekend. Greg, Tampa Bay is right where it wants to be as second season beckons. They're, they are because they're like an offense-first team that is just rolling. They lost Mike Evans during this game to a knee injury that Bruce Arian said after the game they're hopeful is, is not that serious. I don't know what that means. You know, reading he got the, carded. Yeah. Re- well, there were there were reports that he did not have structural damage. Right. So reading between the lines, it might be a ligament strain, which could be anywhere from your back or a couple weeks. We'll see because they're going to do more tests. But the crazy thing is, like, you don't miss Mike Evans that much when Antonio Brown comes in and has his best game uh, as a Buck. Uh, gets a couple touchdowns, goes well over 100 yards, 11 catches. Chris Godwin does the same. Rob Gronkowski, you know, I we gave him them grief about Gronk looks better than he's ever looked. And like, no, that's not true. Man, he does look a lot faster right now. Than oh, he, so you're saying that the coach and the quarterback, who is the I'm, greatest quarterback of all time, actually know how to assess their own tight end, which we laughed I, at. Mere days ago, I mean, he, I still laugh at it because he's not the same guy he was. It's not it, there are two different ways to look. Yeah, at Yeah, I don't think he's better, but there they threw a screen for him today where he had juice running it that I I really don't think he had even four or five weeks ago. He, look, he only had two for twenty nine in this game, but they they didn't get stopped. The 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 Falcons did not stop the Bucks except for one possession in the entire game, and that one possession that they stopped them was off a perfect throw from. Tom Brady to Scotty Miller that went right in Miller's bread basket that just bounced up in the air and they got an interception. That that's how like unconscious they are on offense right now. The Falcons put up a great fight. It was thirty to twenty seven, uh, pretty late in this game, and they had been matching them score for score. And it was just like you weren't gonna. They they would have scored eighty points if they got more possessions. And let, and don't forget what the Falcons, a feisty Falcons defense, did to the Chiefs seven days ago. I mean, this isn't a totally lost team they, they're playing they, hard for Morris and so this Bucks offense this is weeks in a row now where like I you know you have to strip away doubts and just sort of wonder what their heights are this is going to be the Bucks first postseason game in 13 years mm. and it needs to be said you know that the, the Pats finish seven and nine they're going home Tom Brady ends his first season in Tampa with 40 touchdown passes and I know we are in a pass-happy NFL world, but that is an amazing season for a 43-year-old man. And there were some peaks and valleys, of course, uh, for the Bucks this season on offense. But Brady played 16 games and ends with 40 uh, touchdowns. Uh, the Bucks are getting, for what was it, two years and 50 million, whatever that deal was, uh, worth every penny for what he has brought to this organization. And now they're going to be playing January football. That matters. That's uh, That's a big deal. 
Unbelievable. Is Gotta it? respect. Listen, I am a tortured Jets fan, Greg, but you know what? I love that Tom Brady gets out of New England and I get to appreciate him like other people on the outside just for what he's been able to do because you look at what he was doing at the end of his New England run. It looked like a guy in decline and he's still, he's not the same guy he was I, six or seven years ago, but this has been a really special is, year. And I think you would have, like, that's the thing. It, it says more about where the Patriots offense was at. It, look, I don't think Tom Brady in New England would have been that much better this year. That was the worst, you know, set of characters in the entire NFL. Like, I think that would have probably been a disaster, maybe a slightly better disaster uh, than seven and nine. But it, I don't think they would have made the playoffs with Tom Brady. He, he's the best 43 year old player of all time. I mean, it's, it's not even close. He was a top 10 quarterback this year. He's even at a diminished level. He is a top 10 quarterback. And when you say right now, his arm in certain ways is as good as it's been all year. I mean, his yep. deep passing is stronger over the last three weeks than it was at any point in the season for the most and they part. Got, and they got a nice setup with the schedule here in terms of the playoffs. And one thing to keep in mind, their Maybe. defense not playing as well, but they were without three starters, including Devin White and JPP because of COVID. But those players, like some of the Browns players, are uncertain for next week, depending on the timing of when they come off the COVID list. So that's, that's going to be something we're tracking. All right, let's wrap up by spinning through uh, the carnage of the NFC East. Let's start in the Meadowlands. Third and goal at the 17 of the Giants. Dalton back to throw. Nobody's open. He slides to his left. Now he sidearms it into the end zone, and it's intercepted by the Giants. Picked off by Xavier McKinney. The rookie gets his first career interception and seals the deal for Big Blue with 1.15 to go. Bob Papa played them bongos for WFAN. Leonard Williams applied the pressure. Andy Dalton threw up the desperation balloon. And rookie Xavier McKinney came down with the ball in the end zone with 1.15 to play. One Giants first down and some ridiculous Wayne Gallman fumble recovery later. <laughs> and the Zealand stayed alive in the NFC race with a 23-19 win over the Cowboys. Greg, the Cowboys never fail to let down in the big one. <laughs> no. I mean, just when you you think you've seen it all as as a Cowboys fan, if you you know, for them out there, you lose in this game to Jason Garrett, I mean, that just puts a little extra sauce in your in your pants. How about uh how about uh, Wait, what? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's been a long day. What kind of sauce? I don't know. It's a bad sauce. A little bit extra though. <laughs> I mean, it's just like this was Jason. Is the Garrett's sauce from an outside source, or is did he create the sauce? Don't look too deep into art. Sometimes just accept uh, what it is. Uh, okay. Week week seventeen. That this was Jason Garrett's move from 2011 to 2013. This was like what they did every year was they'd get to week 17, they'd put him on Sunday night, and they would blow it. They didn't. Put Put this one on Sunday night, but man, you were watching this game knowing that the winner could be the NFC East champion and the loser gets eliminated. And so there was that that feeling. But then there was another part of me that's watching the it's like these teams stink. Like <laughs> I watched like they, they looked every bit five and ten and six and nine trying to blow the game back and forth and, and Mike McCarthy really ended on a down note by not challenging this this play that seemed like a pretty clear overturn that helped the Giants kick a field goal that made it four. He also didn't go for two. The fans are not happy uh, with Mike McCarthy. Andy Dalton had a really rough game, was very lucky not to throw about four or five interceptions. I'm glad the Giants won this game because they were the much better team today. But, the, but it, it carries through another week where 
you know, not I wouldn't say confidently because we've been tricked so many times that we're cautious to speak at this point about the NFC East, but thinking, you know, 24 hours ago, this Dallas team is the team that could, you know, do some damage if they click on offense. And, you know, a week ago, Andy mm-hmm. Dalton looked great. Today, he, in the first half, threw for 3.3 yards per carry, throwing passes all over the place. Um, is that the Giants defense doing that? Or is that the Cowboys just being totally, um, inc- you know, inconsistent and watching Mike McCarthy's interview after that game? I mean, it is a man with a thousand yard stare. I, very few people seem to need a vacation as much as him without deserving one. Um, <laughs> yes, no vacation for you, Mike McCarthy. I, I think I've been burned by the Cowboys so many times on this podcast uh, for getting sucked into those little mini um, spurts of relevant relevance. Um, this time I stay it out of it because they did again. They're so obvious about it now that they <laughs> they do it just to get people to get sucked in, and then they lay the egg. And you you say to yourself, how did this Cowboys team come out of the one that we saw last week where the three wide receivers were going nuts and Andy Dalton was throwing the ball with authority? That's what the Cowboys do now. That's what they've been doing for decades now. They're just an up-and-down, mediocre organization in terms of uh, their ability to put out a winning product. And it happened again uh, in 2020. And come next summer, you're going to hear if Dak Prescott's back there and you're going to hear about CeeDee Lamb in year two, who had a huge drop, by the way, right before that interception. And you're going to hear about how the Cowboys are back and they're going to be. And then they'll suck everybody in again. And then the same thing will happen. It's just uh, uh, enough. The Cowboys, for the coverage they get, <laughs> it's time to actually put together a real team that we could take seriously. This was not the team. And and Jerry Jones is doing all the same moves. Saturday night, we learned that he signed Kellen Moore to this like big time, like one of the highest paid offensive sure. coordinators in the in the league. After Moore's agent pretty transparently used the Boise State, you know, his alum maybe maybe intended to possibly go to Boise State, but the the end result was they used Boise State to get a ton of money out of Jerry. That puts Mike McCarthy in the bad spot. That's what they did with Jason Garrett back in the day to Wade Phillips. They they gave Jason <laughs> Garrett the money. Like it all just like it keeps repeating itself. I knocked my water over. It's all right. a disaster. Okay, so the Giants win on Sunday afternoon. But to win the putrid NFC East with a 6-10 and 10 record, they would need the Washington football team to fall to the Eagles. Did it happen? Oh, Sunday night. Drops it. Ball is loose. Young picks it up. Scott is there and rides him out of bounds at the 25-yard line. Oh, can you believe it? They get a big break and they give it right back two plays later. That's the story of the game on Sunday night. Nate Sudfeld replaces Jalen Hurts uh, with 12.35 to play in the fourth quarter and immediately goes into the tank. Uh, the Eagles offense does <laughs> a interception by Sudfeld followed by an Alex Smith pick that led to Sudfeld unable to handle a shotgun snack. Chase Young recovers it. Washington takes it from there. Final score twenty to fourteen, and the football team at seven and nine claim the NFC East. And uh, good for Washington, uh, who won five of their last seven games uh, to take this sad division. Uh, <laughs> and good for Alex Smith, one of the great comeback stories in the history of our league. Uh, but that is not what people are, are talking about immediately after this game. Mark says. Yeah, I mean, I you know, uh, 
you bring Sudfeld in. Your quarterback of the future is Jalen Hurts. Um, and they want to, under the guise of wanting to get a look at Sudfeld, who's been on the roster since 2017. So a lot of new information to be gleaned, of course, in this situation. I find it um, <laughs> utterly absurd. And I, you know, I've got, I've got a bunch of smart, um, you know, whippersnappers telling me, don't you see that they want to secure their draft pick, this or that? Okay, look, um, that's your freedom. But I just think that there is uh, something to be said about a code in the NFL that, you don't do that. And, and and it's also just to me, what are you – you're putting Nate Sunfeld, Sudfeld into a tough position. And all I needed to look at was the the faces of the Eagles offensive linemen and other players along the sideline, including Jalen Hurts at the end of the game, just wondering what is going on here. And the reaction of players, not only just on the Giants, but around the league. I think it's an absurd um, way to handle a totally broken season in Philadelphia – um, and it leads me just to wonder what on earth Doug Peterson was up to. Is he smarter than I am and all of us? I don't know. I, I found it to be a really <laughs> ill note to end the Eagles season on and the Giants and Washington's. Well, it's going to be a, a great chapter in the sequel to Doug Peterson's book, you know, with that uh, he, yes, really, he really knew what was going on. What was it, it called again? What was the title of that book? Fearless. <laughs> Wait, well, let's fearless. let's give credit where credit's due. It's pretty fearless putting Nate Sudfeld into a game that is still within striking distance. It's saying you don't give a flying crap what anyone thinks. I'll, I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, or or that you don't really care about winning the game. So that that's why everyone's upset, and it's totally understandable why why everyone's upset. But they told me they weren't really that interested in the game before it started. So the, these are these are weird lines, and I, I do think you're not doing right by your players that are out there competing by having a plan. And it sounds like according to Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth that the plan all along was to bring Sudfeld in, which we didn't know that uh, Mike Garofolo indicated um, something to this nature, not, not totally specific, but thought we'd see Sudfeld. So they wanted to look at Sudfeld. Now they, now Al and Chris asked, Peterson, well, would you really do that if like the game's close? And yeah, he didn't answer that question to them, and apparently they answered yes. And it's it kind of makes a mockery of the other players, but teams do this stuff all the time. Players who finished last week's Eagles game were just ruled out for this game. Um, it, it's a little different pulling a, a obviously superior player in the middle, and it's such uh, an annoying way for the season to end uh, for this NFC East crown to be given uh, to Washington. But it's kind of fitting. I can't believe NFL got to 256 all the games in time. But, man, they're, like, limping to the end. These last couple <laughs> Browns weeks, like, this has not been great football. And anyone that watched the Giants-Cowboys, like, I don't feel bad for those two teams. They're dreadful, too. Right. They, I mean, they, they dug their own grave in double-digit lost seasons. So the Giants fans have the right to be frustrated right now. Right, right. And upset with Doug Peterson. But ultimately, Doug Peterson didn't do this to you. The Giants organization did by not fielding a better team. Also, Doug Peterson, I don't agree with it at all. I think, yes, there's there should be some type of code. You're playing in prime time. You're representing the league and your team. And you have a really competitive, not a great football game, but a competitive football game going on. J- Jalen Herbst is, is an exciting young rookie quarterback. And to just remove him from the equation, uh, it doesn't pass the smell test. It also could have helped if Nate Sudfeld looked at all prepared to play when he came in the game. The guy For a guy that's a technically a three-year veteran, I understand part of the reason Doug wanted to get a look was because Nate hadn't had a lot of opportunity to play. Well, I don't know what... Doug saw in this quarter that's in that quarter of play that's going to help and it also felt like part of something 
um, ickier uh, around the Eagles right now. This happens on the same day uh, that a report comes out that the relationship between Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz is fractured, and we see the divorce coming between the former franchise quarterback and the head coach. They make Carson Wentz inactive, a healthy scratch. Uh, Mm -hmm. They don't want to risk getting him hurt. And then it felt like almost like a show, like, oh, this is my – I'm Doug Peterson. This is my situation. Jalen Hurts is my quarterback of the future. But I want to get Nate Sudfeld in there to see if I have my backup of the future because I know it's not Carson Wentz because our relationship is fractured. It it all felt a little bit ugly and really a tough way for the Eagles season to end. You feel for the players who compete and wanted to win on national television tonight. I mean, I would like, you know, to flip it a little bit, like – um, yeah, you at least we get a seven win um, NFC East winner. I guess that's something. Um, and there are a lot of good stories for Washington, and we've been over them countless times with Alex Smith and Ron Rivera. So it's not to take anything away from from them. And they, I think they they probably are the best team in this division. I although I am so tired of know. saying things like that. <laughs> like they, I and I'm I'm going to move off my prediction that I've had for months that. Um, the Bucks will lose to the NFC East. I don't. That at this point would no. You can't. No, you, you can't, can't now. You might you be can't right. say that for two months now. and then get I'll out. Stick with no, it. you're in. Stick with it because it might still be proven right. It uh, could happen now. It could happen. All I would say one thing is like you, you had other chances during a terrible year to, to get a look at Nate Sudfeld. I get it. Look at also by the way when when April comes and they're in the first round picking at number six versus number nine. A lot of people will be telling us how um, smart and cunning that was. I mean, the, this, the story will flip, and suddenly they'll be celebrated for right, their right. Uh, why, wily you move, know what? please. The Eagles don't that, deserve any more talk. Is it that big of a deal? Yeah. Is it that, it, here's the thing. The Washington had 248 yards in this game against the Eagles' backups. Um, yeah. And, and Al if, Smith if, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't careful with the football in this game. No. There was not a lot to take out of the offense here. No. If, and if you follow any Washington fans or read the replies to some of the reporters, I mean, it's a heartwarming Alex Smith is a heartwarming story for everyone except for Washington fans who are who I have noticed are sick of watching him check down uh, on plays and they and the reporters covering the team kept saying you know updating almost every drive that oh Taylor Heineke is not coming in this drive I, I guess they were under the assumption that was possible that like maybe Heineke would come in um, for Alex Smith I think the Giants had probably the highest Upside, but who who the heck knows? I mean, maybe it, Ron Rivera just um, just held off on a real craving to get a look at Tyler Heineke uh, <laughs> with the division on the line in minutes to go. Please and and Greg, when we talked about the Bucks earlier, you, you said they got a nice matchup. They get the NFC East winner, and yeah, I think the Bucks are a safe pick to advance out of the first round. But you know that pass rush. They get hot. Tom Brady sometimes can look lost when he's got pressure coming at him in his 40s. Uh, That could be a lower-scoring game that people might think, despite what Tampa Bay has done uh, the last few weeks. But we will have time to talk about that. Um, All right. So, Washington wins these. I haven't said – I never said the R word once this entire season. I just want to say that. When Al and Chris are saying it repeatedly – the old Zeus are what two fifty six. Never said the R word. The I Washington. Think I, I think I had an A plus record on that too. There um, you go. Sessler nailed it as well. Yeah. Greg fourteen times he used the. I, R don't, word. I don't think did I say it? I have it right here on my notes. Uh, I don't know That's, about that. All right. I don't think so. Let's spin forward. It's been Claybon did though. I remember Claybon. Claybon did. did. You won't think, people. but he did. All he right. Didn't need this. Let's spin forward. This was. This has been branded by the NFL. And again, I like to think that we 
are plugged in fellows to the league and also uh, through our connection with our fans, both to the, of this podcast and the writing side of things, like we might have some, um, I don't know, some type of creativity uh, that we could offer to the NFL when they say, hey, we want to brand this weekend of uh, upcoming playoff weekend in a different way. Nobody did. And now we're learning that has been branded super wild card weekend. How about that? Because there's three games on each day this year because there's two extra playoff teams. Uh, it is no longer wild card weekend. It is super wild card weekend. And here is what it's going to look like. Saturday, uh, one AFC game, two NFC games. Starts with Indy at Buffalo in the 105 p.m. time slot on CBS. Then the NFC, the sandwich game, the middle of the sandwich, Los Angeles Rams at Seattle, 440 on Fox, so that will be Troy and Joe Buck. We hope Tony Romo uh, and Jim Nance will be together on the early game, but Romo, uh, COVID-19, we'll see what happens. Uh, late game, Saturday, Tampa Bay at Giants, NBC. Then on Sunday, and this is this is notable. Well, that would be news if they're at the Giants, but I think you mean Excuse Washington. Excuse me, Tampa Bay at Washington football team. Sunday, uh, the early game, Baltimore-Tennessee, that's an ESPN-ABC joint. The middle game, 440 Eastern, Chicago at New Orleans on CBS. And then the closer, Mark Sessler, the closer, Cleveland at Pittsburgh on NBC. And it should be noted, Alvin Kamara, um, arguably the best running back in football, who got sent to the COVID-19 list. He tested positive. Uh, I, I don't know if this has changed, but I had read yesterday that if the Saints played on Saturday next week, he would not be able to clear protocol uh, but if they played Sunday, which they are, he may be available next week. That, that's a story. Mm. He also has to be healthy enough to play. He was not a close contact COVID uh, list. He was I have COVID list guy. So big weekend of football coming up. You made it to the final um, to the final nine, Mark. I, I you know when I when I used to have root for teams that would make the playoffs or. I remember when I was like a UConn basketball fan, you know, I liked if they were in the Elite Eight game in Sunday afternoon because I was like, well, I'm, I'm one of five fan bases left still rooting for a team that's alive. The Browns will be one of the nine teams still alive for the Super Bowl late Sunday afternoon. You've been guaranteed that. Well, I'm, oh, you know, I'm glad they didn't get the, you know, the Andy Dalton <laughs> versus the Texans spot on Saturday, like 10 a.m., um, <laughs> You're right. It, it staves. You got off. Alan Chris, by the way. They did confirm that's yeah. the Alan Chris game. Mike Tirico is doing the Saturday night game. It's also about three minutes before we start our podcast, so there could be some raw um, emotions coming off of that. I would just say the super wild card weekend. I don't know what what we're critiquing here. I feel like the message was stretch the bounds of human creativity, and I think box checked. <laughs> Call it like um, divorce. You know, divorce weekend. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of football. Well, yes, and we are not going to jinx this because, yes, now it's the playoffs and there are a lot of games to play and the NFL has not bubbled up or done anything like that. So we are hardly in the clear on COVID, but just to make it out of the regular season and get 256 played, um, that is a minor miracle. It's a great slate, by the way. I mean, other than that NFC East game, you know, the Washington getting in there, those other five games all look great to me on paper. Uh, uh, I don't know. Chicago, New Orleans doesn't do it. Actually, the whole, I guess, I guess you're right. I take it back. And, and I've seen AFC is awesome. 
I've seen the Rams, even though I'm intrigued by the Rams, um, I've seen a, the Rams-Seattle like defensive struggle uh, a couple times this year. And it's probably I feel like I've go. watched every single Seattle game on an isolated <laughs> island on Prime. I just, it, it's nonstop Seahawks. But I'm um, glad for them. Happy for you, Seattle. Yeah, but there's no there are no complaints about the AFC wildcard weekend. That is going to be a lot of fun to watch. All right, so there you go. We've done it all. We've said it all. And as we tape this at... 11.42 p.m. on the East Coast, uh, only Adam Gase has been let go um, as coach. He is now the fourth coach that's been fired, um, and there are usually a couple more. Zach Taylor should be noted. Uh, a report from Mike Florio on NBC that he may not be safe. All this up in the air right now as we record this, and that's why we have a special Around the NFL podcast episode coming up uh, earlier uh, than usual, uh, late Monday, we'll tape it. It is the New Horizons Monday podcast. We don't call it. We don't call it Black Monday. It's no. New Horizons Monday mm. because opportunities abound. Uh, and so we will break down all the uh, movements probably on Monday. Maybe Greg. Maybe nothing's happening on Monday, and we'll say maybe we'll wait till Tuesday. Uh, but either way, the New Horizons podcast coming up next. We'll Be see. flexible, listener. If you're a listener, you need to be flexible, and we'll, well, we we'll gave make them a, the best decision. A lot to listen to today, so you got to crank through this one quickly. Crank it. <laughs> Send it up to two times uh, in terms of velocity of the uh, show. All right. Velocity of the show. Okay, it is definitely time. It's been to a long day. It's been a long day. All right. This is uh, Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, the mailman, the pipe, and, of course... Ricky Hollywood behind the virtual glass who's going to do excellent producing work I know she will uh, on this mega app. Alright everybody until Tuesday or maybe Monday. Stay tuned! go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it irish spring body wash and bar soap fresh green irish Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.